this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Well, here on this Man Fest weekend, I'm excited to, to preach a sermon I, I've titled Jesus, the Masculine Model. Jesus, the masculine model. And, and to start out this message, I want to identify something that, that maybe you know and maybe you don't. Maybe this is your first time hearing it or maybe it's something you've known since the day you were born. I don't know. Um, men and women are different. Did you know that? Yeah. We are different. We're, we're just a little different sometimes and like very different other times. Like my wife and I, we think profoundly differently on so many things. Um, like I... I get distracted very easily, and it's impossible for me to focus on more than one thing at a time. Um, I, I have a very compartmentalized mind. I, I focus intensely on one hobby, one thing at a time, and my wife, it's like everything. She keeps all the details of the house, so all the kids' dates and, and appointments. And You know, I have never known when my kids were going to go to the doctor until that morning, and Jamie's like, we got to take them to the doctor. I'm like, well, why? Because they're two years old. Like, I don't know. I don't keep any of that. And, and it's just amazing to watch her mind work, and my mind works like a, like a broken train. You know, it, sometimes it gets where it needs to go. But, but we are different. We're profoundly different. And today on Father's Day, I want to talk a little bit about the differences between men and women. And I want to look at Jesus, the ultimate model of the healthy, masculine man. And I grew up with an amazing example of a father. Some of you have met, met my dad. He's been here a few times. If, if you want to picture what he looks like, he looks a lot like Greg Waldy, honestly. They, they could almost be twins. <laughs> He's a very handsome man, Greg, and my dad is, and, and they, they look very similar. I've always thought that. But my dad, he, he modeled for me what it was like to be a man. But even, even the best father gives us an incomplete model of what it means to be a man. But Jesus, he gave us the complete model as we study that. But growing up, while I did have the good example of a man in my father, I had a lot of bad examples on TV. And, and TV and movies, they kind of shape how we see the world. There's been a lot of studies done on this. And, and you know, the, the first kind of masculine model we saw on TV, the, the father figure, was, was the Honeymooners. The Honeymooners. Anybody remember Ralph from the Honeymooners? He'd come home from a hard day work. I think he drove a bus, maybe. Was he a bus, bus driver? He'd come home, he'd be like, one of these days, Alice, pow, bang, right in the kisser. Like, like that's, that's abuse, right? Like that, was, that was played for laughs, but it's like, I'm going to beat you, okay? So there was that model of, of a father and a husband. And then, like, a few years later, we had the one that I kind of grew up with, Al Bundy. Anybody? Married with children. The, the struggling shoe salesman come home from a hard day's work selling ladies' shoes. And uh, he'd come home, and his, his wife with her heels and her big hair would be like, Hey, Al, did you miss me? And his response was always, with every shot so far... And, and like, come on, you, you so despise your wife that you're joking that you wish she was dead. And he'd, he'd grumble about the fact that his children were always like there and, and how he had, he just wanted to sit on his couch away from his family and be a couch potato. Like, that's an example of an American man. And, and then a, a few years later, another TV show I grew up with, and maybe you'll know this, Tim, the tool man, Taylor. Like, what time is it? Tool time, that's right. Like, like, and he was, he was the prototypical male, right? Oh, 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 oh. Like, like, and, and then it's, it's funny that, that Tim Allen, he had that, oh, 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 and then he became Santa Claus, and he said, oh, ho, oh, oh. ho. Like, just, just kind of weird, kind of typecasting there. But, 
but he was, he was man, and it was all about manliness and hot rods and engines and repairing things, but he was also the bumbling idiot. And that was the introduction to the bumbling idiot dad stereotype that we had a million of in the years after that, where, where the husband couldn't even put his shoes on right unless his wife took care of everything. Like, like he's, he's just, honestly, a lot of those sitcom dads now are just too dumb to function when you're watching them, and that's the joke they played for laughs. And the reason Hollywood does this is comedy works in extremes, right? If they just played the standard dad, that wouldn't be a comedy so much as it would be a documentary. So of course they ratchet up the masculine tropes to give us a unhealthy example of what a man is. And, and it's usually focused around hyper-masculinity. That's, that's what we've seen as the unhealthy model of male masculinity in the past, hyper-masculinity. This is also called toxic masculinity. That might be a term you're more familiar with. Just venomous, angry all the time, overly sexualized, just, just the, the player, the, 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 they gotta eat the red meat. Like they, they're just hyper angry men. That's, that's one of the examples we get, the, the hyper masculine man. But TV like and culture is often like a pendulum where it goes to one extreme and then it swings to the other extreme is the pendulum we see in media. And that pendulum is kind of, kind of swung away from the hyper-masculine, toxic man for comedy laughs to the hypo-masculine man. That might not be a term you're as familiar with, but it's basically the opposite of hyper-masculine. It's incredibly effeminate. It's, it's intentionally uh, bumbling and foolish. A man takes care of himself, so I'm an island, I'm a rock. But a hypo man is, is impossible, can't take care of himself. He's a grown-up child, the man-child model, if you will. They, they can't take care of themselves. They have no strength. Everyone takes care of them. They are just, just a kid. Stop laughing. I'm not that, you teenagers. They're like, you're a great big kid, Jason. Absolutely, but I put my shoes on by myself this morning. And, and that, that, <laughs> that model of the, the hypo-masculine man, the effeminate man, is what we're seeing on TV now with like the show Modern Family where you have Phil Dunphy and he's got all the, the hilarious dad jokes, but, but he like trips over his own two feet and there was that joke, I gotta fix that step for the whole like first three seasons where he tripped over a staircase step and he couldn't fix it, gotta fix that, gotta fix that, and just couldn't take care of anything. And, and, and culture gives us these two kind of extremes of what a man is. But Jesus painted for us the, the perfect model of a healthy, masculine man, a healthy individual who grew right. And um, Jesus modeled this for us, but God lined it out for us in the very beginning that men and women were different. Genesis 5, verse 1 and 2. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. God made us to be like him. And he created us, male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. Male and female, we are both different. He, he made us intentionally different, male and female, he created us. And that difference is important. And as I talk about the, the perfect model of a masculine man, I want us to look at Jesus because the Bible makes it clear in Hebrews that, that we have a high priest, Jesus, who understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we did, yet did not sin. This is an important thing to know. When Jesus walked this earth, he was a man, capable of all of the fall flaws that every man has. This is essential. Now, it's also important to know that Jesus was fully God. Did you know that? When Jesus walked this earth, he was 100% God. He was God 
It, it says that he was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus walked in the Old Testament with, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was God, fully God. When he walked with his 12 disciples, he was fully God. But he wasn't just 50% God and 50% human. No, he was 100% God and 100% human. This is why this matters, because as a human, he was capable of sin. Do you know that God cannot sin? The Bible says that, that he cannot be tempted by sin, nor can he sin. God cannot sin. So Jesus, 100% God, cannot sin. But also, he was 100% man. Hebrews tells us that, that he was tempted in every way. God cannot be tempted. It was his human nature, his 100% human nature that could be tempted. So God literally became flesh and was a human, but he was still God. 100 and 100. This isn't like fractions. 50% plus 50% equals 100%. No. 100% plus 100% equals 100%. He was fully God and fully man. This is an important theological concept, and it might seem like, duh, that's obvious, but when we really think about it, if he was fully God, he could not sin. But if he was fully man, he could sin. So he both couldn't sin and he could sin. What? That doesn't make sense, but it's the truth. He could have chosen to sin if he wanted, yet he chose not to sin because he was God. If you don't believe he could have sinned, then him living on this earth without sinning means nothing. He could have sinned if he wanted, but because he was fully God, he would not. Come on. This is important. He was fully man. And when we look at Jesus, we need to remember that he was fully man. Otherwise, the example he set isn't that impressive. He was God, of course. It's like, whatever. If I was God, I wouldn't sin either. Yes, you would, because you're also you, and you sin. He was him, and he did not. So when we look at his example of what a man should be, we see how we should aim to live. And when Jesus was young, his parents took him to the temple. And, and after that, we don't hear much about what his childhood was like. There's actually this blank period in Jesus' life from the age of 12 to the age of 30. And the Bible sums up the age of 12 to the age of 30 with one single Bible verse. And everything we study from here on out will hinge on this verse. Luke 2:52. I don't know why I'm looking. I have it memorized. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with all the people. These are the four ways in which Jesus grew. They became the pillars of a healthy individual. Growing people change, and these are the four ways in which we need to grow as men. When I was young, I was in an organization called Royal Rangers, the goal of which, yeah, one Royal Ranger here, woo! I actually have the, the Royal Ranger emblem tattooed on my arm, and four of the points on this emblem stand for the four ways a boy grows. Wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with men. Mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially. These are the four ways in which a man needs to grow. John Eldridge, in his book Wild at Heart, paints the picture of how we become a man. See, manhood isn't something that you just become when you hit a certain age or your body goes through a certain chemical change that we won't talk about because the teenagers will laugh. It's called puberty. Okay, it, that doesn't make you a man. You see, it, John Eldridge actually paints the picture that manhood is something that you can't just achieve on your own. It is bestowed upon you. This is why we have an epidemic of a lack of men in our society. Not because we can't become men, but because many men don't bestow manhood upon other men. Does that make sense? 
When I was young, manhood was bestowed upon me by the men who spoke into my life. When Commander Zegra handed me a knife and trusted me with it, even though the other boys who were acting foolish, he did not. When my father modeled for me how the importance and safety of a firearm and taught me how to hunt and take care of myself. When my dad said, no, Jason can handle it. When he said, you can do this. When men spoke into my life and saw something in me and said, you are capable and I trust you. Manhood was bestowed on me. When people I looked up to said, I believe in you, it was bestowed on me. And then I can walk in that manhood. And we as men should be doing that for younger men bestowing it on them as they grow in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. So let's look at these four ways in which we need to grow. The first one, wisdom. This is in our mind and with our thoughts. We need to have wisdom. When we think of wisdom, think of the mind. We need to grow in our mind. Um, again, the, the prototypical you know, cultural man is an idiot. That's, that's what we see on TV. It's, it's the bumbling fool. It's the Peter Griffin from Family Guy who can't even manage to breathe. This is what we see the culture say a man should be, but the reality is a man should grow in his mind and in his thoughts. We saw this as Jesus when he was even a young man. Before that verse we just read, Luke 2.52, Jesus was sitting in the temple at the age of 12, and he's sitting before the men of his culture, the wise men who are supposed to be the smartest and the wisest, and he sits at their feet, and you know what he did? He asked them questions. And they marveled at his wisdom. He didn't give them answers and they marveled at his wisdom. He asked them questions. Wisdom is in asking questions. I have a question for you. When was the last time you asked some questions? When's the last time you went to someone you look up to as a spiritual father, a spiritual mother, a spiritual leader, and you said, what is the Bible talking about? When is the last time you asked a tough question because if you're not asking questions, you are not seeking wisdom. Wisdom is asking questions. Listen, a wise man knows what he doesn't know. Are there things you don't know? What do you know about them? Grow in what you don't know. The more wise you become, the more you realize the things you don't know. And I have so much more to learn and I wanna learn it, so I must ask questions. Difficult questions. If the questions are easy, they're not helpful. Have you ever heard the expression, there's no such thing as a dumb question, just a question not asked? You've heard that, right? The only dumb question is a question you don't ask. If you want to find out if that's true or not, go work with our junior hires. They are full of dumb questions. <laughs> really dumb questions. Like, you'll be like, hey, we're talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they'll be like, is Ben 10 on tonight? What? It's like a TV show. I don't know. That's a dumb question right now. We're studying the Bible. Like, so there are questions that really have no help. But if we ask the right questions, we can find wisdom, which is what Jesus modeled for us when he was young. And then Jesus actually didn't compare himself to the culture he lived in to find out if he was wise or not. He grew up in Nazareth, and, and after he had started his ministry, he went back to Nazareth to teach. And, and he was so much wiser than the people in his culture, they said, who is this person that he has such wisdom? Isn't he just the man from Nazareth? He grew in wisdom until he was unrecognizable by the people who saw him as a child. He didn't ever stop learning. We can never stop learning. You don't know enough yet about God. I can guarantee it. You know why? You're not in heaven yet. You don't know enough about him. You don't. I don't. People come to me and they're like, I just wish I knew so much, as much as you. I'm like, you should wish for a lot better than that. Like, 
There's so much I don't know. I really don't. Theology's always been a difficult subject for me. I love studying the word and learning about God, but there's so much I don't know. I look up to so many great men and women of, of faith who, who know so much more. Don't compare yourself to those around you in your wisdom because then you'll stop learning. You know, high school students, they graduate and they're like, I'm done learning. What a joke. You have so much more to learn. You never stop learning. Seek wisdom, ask questions. Jesus actually talked about he's the beginning of wisdom and he's what we should be searching for. 1 Corinthians 14.20 says, Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in your understanding of matters of this kind. The kinds of matters it was talking about were spiritual matters. Now, I know I said pursue wisdom and ask questions, but a lot of people derive a certain conclusion from that statement. I have to know everything. I need to experiment and learn. There's things to be gained from, from the world. How can I know if I don't try? The Bible tells us to be immature in certain things. There are certain things of this world that it is okay to have ignorance of, and that is wisdom. A wise man knows what he doesn't know, and he can know he doesn't want to know more about it. You know, students, they have great questions. And they'll ask me, hey, if marijuana is ever legalized, will, will you smoke? I'm like, no, because I don't want to smoke because my mother smoked and that was tobacco and that was bad enough and it affects her lungs and I don't like the smell. I'm not going to smoke. Well, will you have edibles? Like, that's always the second question. And I'm like, listen, I know there are things out there that I don't want to be a part of and I don't want to be a part of my life. I have complete ignorance on the effects of marijuana on my system and I'm okay with that ignorance. Absolutely. Now, listen, I, I'm not, I don't know for you. I'm not... But the Bible doesn't explicitly forbid it. I'm not going to explicitly forbid it. Like, I know the effects of alcohol on me, but I am completely ignorant of what it would be like to be drunk. Never been drunk. I have no idea. And I don't want to know. Because the Bible says it's not good, and I'm going to take it at its word. Now, I do know the effects of, of, of a beer. I, I know, understand the effects of alcohol. I don't have ignorance of that. So I can speak to that. But I, the thing, there are many things in this world I can't speak to. I cannot speak to the effects of, of hard drugs. I cannot speak to the effects of marijuana on my system. I am ignorant of these things and I will remain ignorant of these things because I have decided that it is wisdom for me to not be a part of something that has such an addictive response and I have a tendency to have an addictive personality disorder and things, so I'm gonna remove even that of influence or effect on my life. That is a decision I have made for me and is wisdom for me. I cannot apply that wisdom to you, but there are certain things that you know you should remain ignorant of. There are things you cannot unsee. One of my leaders when I was really young, one of the men who helped instill manhood on me said, I was sent an email the other day, guys, and it was of, of US soldiers being beheaded. And, and I opened it and watched it, and I thought, this will be respectful and I'll be able to observe this. And it corrupted me and I am hurt. Be careful what you watch. You cannot unsee it. There are things that we should remain ignorant of if we are able. Be careful of what you learn. Now, that, this doesn't apply to the scriptures. There is so much good to learn. As men, we need to know what we can know. Just because there's information doesn't mean it's information we need. Seek wisdom. Remain ignorant to evil. I know it's out there. I don't have to mess around with it. And the same can be true of us if we want to stay from that pendulum swing of complete ignorance or I have to know everything. I have to experience all the world has to offer, or how will I understand God's goodness? No, you, you know better. Follow the wisdom of our Father. Second way that we need to grow, in stature. I am not 
tall of stature. But I am growing physically. We need to grow physically. We need to focus on our strength. You know, strength is important. A man without strength doesn't know who he is. And I'm not talking about physical strength. We need to know our strength. Humility isn't a lack of strength. It's the control of it. I, I need to know what I am capable of. This is important. We need to take care of our bodies so we operate out of strength. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength. If I have no strength, if I am completely weak, then how can I love the Lord with all my lack of strength? I need to give him my strength. Strength and physical fitness have an element of, of control and willpower. It takes will to exercise. Oh my God, does it take will to exercise? To wake up, go to the gym, work out. And then when you're at the gym, to actually work out, not like, you know, treadmill on two. Like, I work out at Planet Fitness. If you want to see people not working out at the gym, get a, get a membership to Planet Fitness. <laughs> I didn't know treadmills went that slow. It takes willpower to work out. Physical training has value. And, and God wants us to work. Genesis 2.15 is the Lord's intention for us. The Lord placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. He had every intention that Adam would work and work hard. The world tells us that our goal should be to retire early. Sit with your feet up, um, go on the beach, you know, have people hold grapes over your mouth, fan you with big palm leaves, like, like that kind of luxury, like lifestyles of the rich and famous, like MTV Cribs, just have the best and then never work a day in your life. This is not what God had in store for us. You know, depression in the, the wealthy is at the same rate as the depression in the poor. Money's not gonna solve your problems. Winning the lottery will probably make things worse. God intended that we would work in our time here on earth. You know the retirement package for a Christian doesn't start until we get to heaven. When you retire from the workforce, there is still work to be done. You can work here, you can, you can join so many of the ministry teams, you can, you can get another job and so that you can continue to tithe to God, you can invest. I know my father, my father has worked incredibly hard his entire life. When I was young, he had four jobs. He, he's working a very physically demanding job as a union electrician and, and his body is breaking down and he's looking forward to retirement. But I also know my dad well enough to know he will not be retired long. He will find some other job that fulfills him and rewards him and he can invest in others because we are called to work. How are you working? How are you using your physical body and growing in the area of work? And how are you shepherding your body with which you work? The body is the temple, right? A second, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, don't you realize, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? We need to take care of our physical bodies. This means, you know, working out. This means sleeping well. This, this also means not putting only junk food in our bodies. I struggle with this one. Candace has a joke around here that I eat like a 12-year-old. She's probably not wrong. My favorite food is, after all, peanut butter and jelly. I have mac and cheese at least twice a week. And cheeseburgers are the greatest thing ever made. Just saying. God gave us cheese. He gave us burgers. And someone was smart enough to put them on each other. And I thank that person. I spent the day in New York and New Jersey, and the pizza out here is fine. It's fine. But I had pizza every meal for the past few days, and it was so good to be in New Jersey where the pizza is good, the bagels are great. Oh, it was good to eat some carbs in New Jersey. I don't always eat the best. But I did notice something about a year ago that, 
that the way I was eating was starting to affect my body. I, I'm 32 years old and life's not fair, so I can eat garbage and I remain pretty skinny. But things were getting softer and I didn't like it. Uh, so a student in the youth group was like, hey Jason, I wanna start working out, will you work out with me? And I'm like, God, why? Why are you speaking to me right now? And we got a membership and we, we've been working out two or three times a week for quite a few months now. I think since like September, maybe January. I, I, can't, I can't remember when we started. But I'm getting in better shape. I feel healthy. Like I went to New York, we walked nine miles and yes, I'm exhausted, but I was able to do it. And we, we played like a football game in the back the other day and I played the whole game, wasn't even winded. I can walk up a flight of stairs now, y'all. Like it's important that we take care of our bodies so that we can do the work that God calls us to do. Take care of your body. Grow physically. 1 Timothy 4 explains the importance of physical training. 1 Timothy 4, 8. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. It's important that we take care of our bodies and grow physically. But the next way Jesus grew was spiritually. Growing in godliness is much better. He grew spiritually in favor with God. This is soul care. Do you know you have a soul? Do you know you have a soul? I, I like to do something with the junior hires. I say, you guys know you have a soul? They all say yes. Okay, point to it. No, that's your heart. No, that's your mind. Where's your soul? I don't know, but it's here and it's eternal. In the very beginning, we read the verse that God created man and woman in his own image. This is the eternal nature that we have, the free will that he gave us. And that lasts much longer than the 85, 90 years here on earth. It extends to infinity. And that soul is shaped by what we do here on earth. Take care of your soul. You have the ability to turn your soul into a dumpster fire of garbage or a bubbling spring of health. What will you do with it? Jesus guarded and shepherded his own soul. And we see that numerous times in scripture. Uh, the first one I want to look at, I mentioned some of the, the importance of physical health. And this one is both physical and spiritual. So we're going to look at it. Mark 4, 37. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, "Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown?" Jesus was sleeping on the boat. This is the he's like napping. I love my savior, don't you? Mark, remember this, Mark 4:38. Jesus was sleeping on the boat. It's okay to take naps. There, if you take nothing away from this sermon, don't let it be just that point. There's way better stuff than that. Like, it's okay to rest. We need to rest. I know I just said that we're supposed to work, work the rest of your life, but don't work yourself to death. Remember the pendulum? Don't be unhealthy. Jesus wasn't unhealthy. You know why Jesus was napping on the boat? He just spent the last three days preaching to tons of people. He was tired and he needed to rest. Uh, earlier this morning, somebody asked what the plans are uh, for, my, for my birthday today. And, um, and I told them, like, you know, on, on Tuesday I went out, and I, or Thursday I went out with a bunch of teenagers, six teenagers, uh, and we spent the day in Jersey with my sister for her graduation. And then Friday we went to New York and we walked nine miles and we got home at midnight. And then, then we had the funeral and then I had a pre, and just so much. I've been real busy, so you know what my plans are today? I'm going to take a nap. Woo! Woo! 
big 30-second birthday plans. To be honest, I want to do something crazy and fun. That's who I am. I would love to go bungee jumping, paintballing, have a blast. But I know I need to rest. I have to take care of myself. I've got a youth camp coming up in a week, and I've got my family to look after in the meantime, and Tanzania is just a month away, and I can't burn the candle at both ends. I need to rest. I think we all need to rest sometimes. You know, the Lord says to keep the Sabbath holy. He instructs us to take a day off and rest. This is rest from our normal work. What do you do for a living? If, it, if it's physical labor, you know what you should be doing on Sunday? Not physical labor. Maybe you work in office jobs, so Sunday a restful thing would be to actually use your body and, and, and work it out. Like Take a rest from your normal work and rest your soul. Care for your soul by taking a break from what's been draining and exhausting you. You know what some of my Sabbaths have been some days? I just come to the church, I, I go to the youth shed out there, and I organize it. And I just, I just organize for like eight hours. And I build stuff. And it, it feeds my soul. You know what I used to do to feed my soul? I used to walk around Target. Not buy anything, just walk in circles around Target. Oh, I felt so rested. The place is so clean. I just love it. Grab some Starbucks, walk around Target. What feeds your soul? How should you be resting like Jesus did? The next thing that Jesus did to take, keep his soul healthy is he wept. He slept and he wept. John 3, 1135. This is a real tough verse to memorize. Jesus wept. Then Jesus wept. It's the smallest verse in the whole Bible. But it's important that we recognize it. You know why he wept? His best friend just died. And not only did his friend die, people started to accuse him of not caring enough about him to go and save him. And they didn't understand what he was doing, and he began to weep for the loss of his friend, for the people that he had to endure, for the, the struggles of this life, and he wept. My dad was, again, a great model of a healthy man. I remember when our, our hunting dog, Miller, the Springer Spaniel, jumped the fence that we had built to intentionally to keep him in, was hit by a car, and we brought him to my grandmother's house, and my dad dug the hole and then put his dog in it. And he wept. And then I knew it was okay that I was crying. A healthy man is able to weep when it's time to weep. It is an unhealthy man who holds his emotions in so that no one see them. My father wept and Jesus wept. But you know what? He didn't remain weeping. He got up and he did what was necessary. The Bible explains that when John the Baptist was killed, Jesus wept. And then people came to him with needs and he got up and he took care of them. He got back to work. Weep, mourn, Take care of yourself. Guard your soul. Care for your soul. Do not let it become scarred by grief that isn't taken care of. Father's Day is a tough day for many. Either the loss of a father or the scars and wounds from a father can be painful. Deal with it. Don't let your soul become scarred, jaded, or calloused. Weep. Jesus will weep with you. And then he'll rejoice with you. The next thing he did is he prayed, Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. He had a private place, the wilderness. He would get up, go away from everyone to a, a silent and secluded place, and he would pray to his father. I, I know so many prayer warriors, and I am so grateful to them. But I will say there is a disproportionate balance in the church. 
most of our prayer warriors are women. I do not know why. Now, I'm not saying there are not great male prayer warriors, pray, like men pray. I know so many, but, but I think there's an imbalance. I don't know why. And when there's an imbalance, we have to strive to repair it, men. Do you wake up early? Do you go into the quiet? And do you pray? This is important. It's important for your soul to go to your Savior and pray. Talk about the day ahead of you. Talk to him about what he intends for you. Listen to him. Meditate on his word. Pick a Bible passage and pray it out. Pray it word by word, considering and thoughtfully caring. This is meditation. You know, the, the Western, the, the Eastern medicine way of meditation where you just empty your mind and drain it from all the worries of this world. And we don't see that in scripture, but the Bible does talk about meditation a lot. Meditate on God's word. It's actually filling your mind with the things of God. You are emptying it of the worries of this world, but you are filling it up at the same time. An empty mind is a dangerous mind because the enemy can put whatever he wants in there. Fill your mind with the things of God. We already talked about that in wisdom, but it's important that spiritually we meditate on his word. Go to your quiet place and pray. If you're not doing that, you, I, I find it hard to say that you are honestly following Jesus because he modeled that for his disciples. So much so that they came to him and they said, teach us how to pray. I explained to, to junior highs, prayer is the easiest thing in the world. Have you ever had a conversation with someone? All right, now do it with God. But he's not talking back, okay? Have you ever had a conversation with someone where they didn't talk back very much? I know you have because you do it with me all the time. You just talk at me. Talk at God for a while and then pause. Pause and contemplate everything you just said. For some of us, it might be better to write these words down. It'll slow down the random stream of consciousness and, and give you something you can look back on. Write down your prayers. Spend some time in prayer. Jesus prayed, we should too. And then finally, he grew in favor with people. This is the social element of our health. No man is an island. You can't pull yourself up by our bootstraps. I would encourage you to go home and try. Put on some boots, grab the shoelaces, and pull yourself up. You realize that that expression is about the inability for anyone to succeed on their own, right? You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. I saw on a, on a millennial website the other day that Jesus' greatest miracle was having 12 close friends into his 30s because our culture is so lonely. Individuals have social media and Snapchat where they just press the button, take the picture, send the picture to hundreds of people on their feed. And it's supposed to be social interaction. I'll go up to teenagers, I'm like, who are you talking to? And they'll say, no one. I just saw you send like 15 messages. It's not really good. You're not, you're talking to, to no one about nothing, and that's a friendship. Real friendship goes deeper than that. Jesus walked to this earth with his 12 closest friends, investing in them and having them speak into his life. They had a relationship. We need to have relationships with others. God said in Genesis 2, 18, it is not good for man to be alone, and I will make a helper who is just right for him. We need to have healthy relationships with the men in our lives, but also with the women. Male and female interaction in our culture is, is not modeled for us in healthy ways. How do we view the women in our lives? As equals, as subservience, as objects? It's not good for man to be alone. We need to exist in society with others we cannot seclude ourselves and cut ourselves off. We end up lonely and it is not good to be alone. Jesus reflected this for us in the greatest commandment. He said in Mark 
12.30. The second is equally important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mark 12.31. I think they only have 30 back there. Yeah. Love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Growing up in New Jersey, the most densely populated state in America, I learned a great adage um, that I have applied to my life. Great fences make great neighbors. We closed ourselves off. Don't come in my yard, I won't come in your yard. We'll be the best neighbors ever. Like, like we still don't talk to our neighbors. It's great, we're the best friends. But in reality, I did grow up with a couple of neighbors that were really close to my family. And I remember my mom sending me over for a cup of sugar quite a few times. Hey, go ask the neighbors for a cup of sugar. You know what I do when I need sugar? I get in my car and I drive to Giant. I don't ask anybody for sugar. I hop on my skateboard and I, I ride down to the, the Quick Mart there in Gettysburg and I, I get some sugar. I, I, don't, I don't go next door. But, but when we let our neighbors give us things, we're actually letting ourselves be loved by them. And we're loving them. We, were at, we had a funeral uh, memorial service here uh, Saturday morning uh, from Melissa Bishop. And I, I knew Melissa, but I didn't know her, her that well, but I heard story after story of the kind things she did for people she knew. She had so many connections and friends. And somebody stood up and they said, I remember one time I got a text from Melissa and she told me to come downstairs and, and I opened my door to the porch and there were flowers sitting on my porch. And I texted her and I said, are you nearby? She said, nope, I, I just drove by and left. I got things to do. I just wanted to give you a drive-by flowering. The world would be a lot better place if there were more drive-by flowerings where we cared for those we were close to. I struggle with this. I struggle to remember those I'm not around, to even send a text message saying, hey, I love you and I miss you, but just scrolling through my contacts and reaching out to people. How long would that take me to, to send something heartfelt? But I forget because I'm on my own. I like my seclusion and I just wanna be left alone. We all do, but it is not good for us to be left alone. Because as Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. This weekend, we're throwing axes to celebrate Manfest out there, and um, some people were getting pretty good at it, and they were getting the blade to hit the wood time after time, but I made a mistake this week, and I forgot to sharpen the axes, so, so they're kind of bouncing off. It's not good to be just left alone and ignored, separated from the society that is designed to make us effective. As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another, but this only happens in a healthy relationship. Uh, I spent the day in New York, as I've said numerous times in this message, so I could probably stop saying it. And in New York, I walked down the street and everyone wanted to talk to me. It was so amazing. But I didn't want to talk to anyone because I realized they just wanted something from me, right? They're handing me bus tours. They're trying to get me to go to a comedy show. They're, they're, they're shoving something down my throats. And, and, and I just went, get away, get away, get away. They could have had something really important to tell me, like your shoe's untied, you're about to trip. And I would say, no, I'm not. And then I'd trip over my own feet because I'm not about to be told by a stranger how to live my life. Back up. But when a friend speaks to us, we can listen and we can be sharpened. This actually happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was sitting in the back of the room with Candace and, and she challenged a very fundamental core belief of mine. I don't wanna get into it, it'll take us down a rabbit hole, but she was really challenging something that I believe deeply. And, and I sat there and now listen, if somebody I barely know came up and challenged me on this, I would put my foot down and I would start fighting. Get the gloves on, know my strength, I'm a man, I will not be moved. And I would fight because that's what debate leads to. And I would encourage you in your interactions on social media, that's what happens. You just convince the other party that they believe what they believe stronger because they're excited to fight. So maybe choose your battles because I'm, I'm just saying nobody's ever been won in a comment section. 
ever. If it happens, it's the miracle of God, not the move of your elegantly chosen argument. But when I sat across from someone I care for and cares for me, and she challenged me, I thought about it. And I still have been. Because I want to live a sharp life, not a dull one who will not be moved. And my worldview has been molded and shaped a little bit, sharpened a little bit so as to be more effective. Are you willing to be sharpened by a friend? Are you, will, be, will you be unmoving and unhealthy? Jesus grew in all of these ways, mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially. And men, be a man. Grow in those ways. And I started the, the sermon explaining that men and women are different, that God at the very beginning in Genesis 2 described and defined that men and women, we are different. But as I studied this passage, I found another one that came to light to me. And it was when I finished the sermon, I was going to plan to end it there, but kind of like an infomercial, I went, but wait, there's more. And here it is. Galatians 3, 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. We're all Christians. And 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Leave that verse up there for a minute. What is Paul talking about? Are we no longer men and women? Are we some new gender? There's a new one every day. Like, what are we? Is Paul, is Paul affirming what the world is currently believing? That, that we are no longer male or female? That the lines are blurred and do not exist anymore? Is that what he's saying? Well, in that culture, he said, you are no longer slave nor free. So if a slave meets Christ, did the Roman government immediately release them from slavery? And they could go, I'm free. But wait, we're also no longer free. Oh, I'm not free. What, are, what is he talking about? And I spent some time pondering this. Clearly, I'm still a man. I didn't meet Jesus and give up my man card. Like, what is he talking about? And I pondered it, and I realized. Hypo-masculinity. Being a, being a feminine is wrong. Hyper-masculinity, toxic masculinity is wrong. So then what are we striving for? What, what am, if I'm not a slave, if I'm not free, what am I? We are not defined by anything over the best definition of all, follower of Christ. This, this world's got it wrong. They want to thrust labels and identities on individuals that they will lock them into and be unmoving. Teenagers come up to me and they're like, I think I'm gay. And I'm like, don't put that label on because the world will never let you change it. They'll say they're inclusive until you disagree with what you thought you were 10 minutes ago. Oh, well, you're lying to yourself. What do you mean I'm lying to myself? Couldn't I have been lying to myself when I told myself I was the thing that I'm lying to myself about now? It's foolishness. You know the place that should be and is the most inclusive? The church where all are welcome, I don't care what you call yourself, because what you should call yourself is a Christian. And if you follow Christ, the truth will set you free. I don't have to correct you, define you, or tell you anything, because you aren't male or female, you aren't Jew or Gentile, you aren't slave or free, you are a follower of Christ. And the closer you get to him, following him in, in spiritually, physically, mentally, socially, if you do all of those, you're going to become exactly like him, and you'll be the one, man, the woman he defined you to be at the very existence of creation. He defined in, in Genesis 1 exactly who I would be and who he wants me to be. He wanted me to be a man, and I will be a man, but I will be a Christian. And that's what I'll define myself by. Because if I focus only on my masculine nature, I become something toxic. If I focus only on not being toxically masculine, I become something less than. 
But if I focus on following Christ, I become the man that he designed me to be since the creation of the world. And that man looks an awful lot like Jesus, and that's what I hope I want to look like. My father was a great man, but if I strive to become like him, I will miss out who Jesus called me to be, and he called me to be like him. If you had the best example of a father or the worst, don't compare yourselves or chase after that. Chase after Jesus. And then what the labels of this world try to thrust upon you will not matter because we are not slave or free. You know, we want to define ourselves by our freedom. I want us to define myself by Christ. We want to define ourselves by our gender. I want to define myself by Christ. If we do that, the other stuff doesn't matter. Now, it, it matters that we follow him because we follow him. We won't follow him into the sin of the wrong definition for us. Everything in balance here. Understand what I'm saying. All are welcome here. I don't care what label you came in wearing. I know what label I want you to walk out wearing. Follower of Jesus. So the response here is simple. Are you following Jesus? Because if you are, you will change. Freedom Valley, we believe. Growing people change. And we are a church of growing people. We are a church of growing people. Are you changing? Maybe you came in here and you're far from God. You're not following him. You're living a life of sin. You can identify a million little sins or even only one. And you feel so far from God because it separates you from him. And you want to follow him. You want to be forgiven by him. If you can say, I believe Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God. I believe he died on the cross and I believe he came back to life. You can follow him in salvation, in eternity, with your eternal soul in heaven. You can make that decision today. Maybe you've already made that decision long ago. But you need to follow him in becoming more like Jesus. In these four areas, you can identify an area you need to become more healthy. Working hard, resting well, studying God's word, meditating on it, growing in Christ. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.